All right, let's go now uh, to the Word of God, and um, we will look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. Our teaching text this morning comes from Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord God, we pray this morning that as we begin this new series that you would open our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of your kingdom. Father, we pray that you might create in us right thinking by your Spirit, that you would correct false thinking, that you might put pieces that we've learned, pieces that we've heard together this morning to make the story of the gospel and the story of your kingdom more clear to us. And therefore, the very purpose of our lives and the purpose of the church and the hope of the church and the hope of our lives. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need you in this place this morning to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to breathe life into dead souls. Father, we need you to revive us. We need you to convict us of sin and to convince us of grace and power and hope as we walk forward by your grace. Father, as your word goes out, you've promised that it would not go out in vain. So, Father, this morning be faithful to your promises as we know that you will, but would you do it in overflowing, abundant fashion. Oh, God, would you bring change. You know that I need you, and I know that I need you. So, Father, would you meet me in my weakness? Would you meet me in my frailty? And would your power be made perfect in my weakness? That the glories of the kingdom might be known in this place today. Father, thank you so much for your work in our lives. Thank you, O oh God, for what you're doing in our body. Father, even before we go to your word, I think of... Uh, Will and Andrea Rucker, who will go and, and give birth to their baby girl tomorrow. God, would you just meet them and bless them? I think of Pi and the healthy 10-pound, 3-ounce baby boy that you gave her over the last 48 hours. Father, thank you so much. You take our mess and you redeem it. You do it for us all. And we praise you and we give you the glory. We think of Stephanie and Bogan as they are waiting any moment to welcome their first child. Oh God, would you be with them, walk with them. May they know your nearness. And Father, so many needs in this body. You know what is needed. Minister to us, shepherd us. Lord Jesus, you are the teacher. You are the shepherd. And we give our hearts to you now. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you would have to be... Seriously disconnected to not know that the political season is upon us. <laughs> um, the mayoral candidates are lining up and we're hearing their specific visions for the city of Memphis, for their Memphis, if you will. The political candidates in, uh, for the presidential race are lining up and telling us their vision for uh, their America. America. 
And as you hear the language and as you think about the process, it, it has very much to do with our topic this morning. For, for you, you, you see yourself at times when you can push beyond the skepticism and you can push beyond the lack of hope and, 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 and just kind of the, the commitment to the status quo. You can see yourself longing for the kingdom, for the reign, for the administration of the platform of the candidates that are speaking to come into reality. Because they are platforms in their minds and hearts of renewal, of healing, of hope, of prosperity, of goodness. And as we think about that this morning, I want to kind of throw into the mix, well, where does Jesus fit into this? I I mean, what would it look like for us as God's people to, to say, okay, well, what would it look like for Jesus to reign over the city of Memphis? What would it look like for Jesus to reign in the White House? And you're already, maybe some of you, skeptically saying, oh, okay, well, ho-hum, I mean, come on, surely Jesus has read the Constitution, separation of church and state. I mean, we tried all that before, the moral majority, Jerry Falwell, the churches that, that the flag by the, you know, the American flag by the Christian flag, we've tried all that before, come on. And yet, dear friends, this is the very reason that we're starting this series on the kingdom of God this morning. Because at the heart of what we should be longing for as a people, as expressed in the Lord's Prayer, is this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. What does that mean? The people of God had a very earthly, tangible understanding of that. In the midst of broken lives, in the midst of horrible reigns of scoundrel kind of kings and lack of kings and lack of leadership, they would cry out to God, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth. Give us a king, O God. Bring someone who will reign over us where there will be prosperity and healing in the land, where the oppressed will be freed, where the poor will be provided for, where the naked will be clothed. Well, the prisoner will be set free. Oh, God, bring us an earthly king. And that is precisely why so many of the Jews and the Jewish leaders missed Jesus, because he didn't come with this earthly reign the first time he came. And so they had too much of an earthly understanding, too much of an expectation of him literally coming and literally reigning over the land, being seated on the throne, being in office. But I fear today that we respond to that, we respond to so much in our culture and really a lack of biblical theological teaching on the kingdom of God with not too earthly of you, but too spiritual of a view, too futuristic of a view. We think when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Wow. We have an earthly hope. As we heard last week, downtown church is a kingdom-driven church. 
What in the world does that mean? Well, this morning we're starting that series. We kind of introduced it in one of the four points last week. But this morning we're, we're starting this series and next week we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13 and we're going to look at the, uh, the, the kingdom parables the, that, that Jesus presents in Matthew 13. But this morning we're going to introduce and expand on what we talked about last week and, and really answer the question, what is the kingdom and, and how does it relate to me? So first and foremost, we need to understand that the kingdom of God is the healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power. The kingdom of God, when the, the, the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God, it speaks of the healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power. And this has immediate and practical implications for you and me in every single aspect of our lives. Think about the refugee crisis right now in Syria. There are 4 million refugees being displaced. There are over 12 million people losing homes and and, and being kind of pushed out. But there are 4 million people not just seeking a better life in another country, but literally fleeing for their lives. It is a horrible humanitarian challenge. There were estimates of two million Christians before uh, just a few years ago, and now there are estimates of like 400,000. The face of evil is wiping out Christianity in that part of the world. And yet, there's an online movement, a Christian online movement called We Welcome Refugees. And, and I looked at their website, and we're going to be talking about how we as a church can respond to that crisis in the world. And we're going to hear so much more about that in the coming weeks. But listen to what they say. Uh, the, the We Welcome Refugees website says this, We're profoundly moved by this historic crisis... And we are moved to kingdom action. What do they mean by kingdom action? What is meant by that? To understand what they mean, we've got to go back. And we've got to go back to creation and understand that God created this world. He created it good. He created it for His presence to be in this world. But He created little images of himself to be scattered throughout the world, and those images are you and me. In the image of God, he created them, Genesis 1.27. Male and female, he created them. You see, throughout time, going back to the earliest of time, kings and rulers would make statues of themselves and place them throughout the land. And so when other people saw those statues, it was to evoke fear, It was to to evoke respect, and you were to look at that statue and say, I'm going to carry out my duties as a citizen to my king and to the one who rules the land. And many times there was a threat behind it, do it or else. But when God creates his kingdom, he didn't create a statue, he created images, you and me. And so in that, Your whole heart and mind right now should be exploding with the applications and the possibilities of the reality that you've been created to be an image of God in His kingdom. So your created purpose is this. 
Everywhere you go, in everything you do, in every interaction, you are not representing yourself, but you are representing the king because you are his image bearer. So you are to bring his reign, you are to bring his priorities, you are to bring his principles, you are to bring his character to bear wherever you are, whenever you are. That is the reason for which you've been created and the reason for which I've been created. But something happened, and we know, and it's called the fall. And in the fall, Satan tempted our great-great-great-great-grandparents with this temptation. Did God really say? In other words, can you really trust your king? And we said, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know if we can trust our king. And so what did our king do? As we sought to take him over, and we refused to be image bearers, but we uh, demanded that he serve us, not us serve him, he says, okay, I'll let you see what life looks like. I will give you over to self-rule. And that was the essence of his judgment. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1. He gave us over to the lust of our hearts, to dishonorable passions, and to a debased mind. In other words, everything in us pushes against bowing down to King Jesus, bowing down to the King of glory. Everything in us wants Him to bow down to us, for Him to make our lives what we want it to be, not for us to form our lives in response to what He would have them be. And that's what's wrong with all of us. And yet God promised to send... One who would crush the head of Satan. One who would come and he would reign supremely over the land and he would bring peace and he would bring prosperity and he would bring forgiveness and he would restore us from the inside out and he would give us hearts of stone, not of flesh. Or he would turn our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. And he would make us willing to obey him and to serve him as King Jesus and to be restored as image bearers in the land that he might receive the glory that he deserves. And prophet after prophet came and went promising that a king was coming. And as the scriptures progress, what you see throughout the Old Testament is the whole Old Testament was about a king and the kingdom. The restoration of the kingdom, the glory of God being restored among the people, His presence being restored, and us being restored as little image bearers who say, Yes, Jesus, tell us what you would have us do. May we go where you would have us go. May we do what you would have us do. May we live how you would have us live, because we are your servants and you are our king. It's the very purpose for which we were created. It's the purpose for which King Jesus comes because in the last part of the Old Testament there was silence, 400 years of silence, but Jesus breaks the silence with these words as we saw last week in Mark 1, 14 and 15, Behold, the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is among you. The king has come. And so do you see how God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven in our time, in our day, right in this very moment? 
It's when we say yes to King Jesus and we love like He would have us love and we forgive like He would have us forgive and we live like He would have us live and we would give like He would have us give and we would serve like He would have us serve. And when we do that, we are representing His kingdom on earth as it is going to be in heaven. And now do you understand what a travesty it is that we live in Memphis, Tennessee, where there are so many churches and so many people claiming to be servants of the King, and yet we are the poorest city. And yet our schools are in shambles to a large degree. Poverty and all the issues of poverty... And where is the church restoring the kingdom of God? Do you see it now? This is not just some side issue. It is that which should move our hearts when we see someone hurting, when we see our neighbor hurting, when we see a marriage in trouble, when we see someone lonely. We care. Why? Because our King cares. And we say, I I have within my control as a servant of Jesus to bring the kingdom to my neighbor. As I love them, as I serve them, as I forgive them, as I guide them, as I teach them, as as I die for them. Thy kingdom come on earth. And Jesus said, yes, my kingdom is to come through the church of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? Secondly, we have to want His kingdom to come to us. If we're going to bring the kingdom of God to the world, then we have to let His kingdom come to us. Rachel and I love the show Fixer Upper. Chip and Joanna Gaines. We got any other Fixer Upper junkies in here? All right, we got a few in the back. Getting charismatic back there. That's awesome. I like that. Um, It's a good thing. Well, here's kind of their niche in the whole fixer-up market. Um, They take the worst house in the best neighborhood. They identify a buyer. And actually, they pick three of the worst houses in the best neighborhood. And they give the buyer a choice. And the buyer buys it. And Chip and Joanna work in line with their budget to restore it. And it's an incredible show to watch. It's so encouraging. If you want to be uplifted after having a bad day and you just want some, um, you know, uh, a real hors d'oeuvre to kind of nibble on, you know, it's like nacho cheese dip or something. I mean, it just, it's not, may not be great for you, but it it tastes good going down. And so, um, turn on, fix her upper, set your DVR. It'll make your day beautiful. So, you know, at the end, we love watching it because when they pull that thing back, they're like, ah. Oh. I mean, we would give our house. We, would, we want them to find the worst house in the best neighborhood and do that for us. Here, take our money. Do it. We want... Why? Because we trust them. And we know that they see things we don't see. And they make something beautiful that looks tragic. Do you trust the king and what he's wanting to do with your life? Do you trust the one who has promised to bring good and not bad to you? See, what, is, what are the kind of changes? I mean, what, what's the flooring? What's the, the paint 
choices. What, what is God wanting to do in your life? He told us in the Sermon on the Mount. The whole Sermon on the Mount is a kingdom sermon. It's all about the kingdom. And in the first part, he gives the Beatitudes, which is telling us what, what the kind of work that he is seeking to do in our lives and what the citizens of his kingdom look like and what he's making us to look like. And the very first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And friends, what he's saying there is not the depressed, not the downtrodden in, in, in terms of, Oh, there's no hope in the world, woe is me. But it's the poor in spirit, those who have said, I have come to a point in my life where I understand that my self-rule makes a mess of everything. And I need a king to reign over me. I don't trust myself anymore. I need to live how he would have me live. He has to define the right way to live. He has to define my priorities. He has to define what I do with my body. He has to define what to do with my money. He has to define what to do with my mind. I need you, Lord Jesus. I need a king. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in me. Because I'm poor in spirit. Notice he doesn't say middle class in spirit. (laughs) Man, I wish he did. That'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Okay, me and Jesus, you know, no, no. I'm poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? Is that what you want to be? Are you saying, come Lord Jesus, come, do your will in me? I love the passage, I had it written here, Luke eighteen sixteen. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Why? Because those children in that moment, not all children, but those children in that moment were like, let me get to Jesus. I want to be in his lap. I need a daddy. I see love in his eyes, and I know that's the kind of love I I, I was made for. I need somebody to rule over me. I need somebody to father me. I need poor in spirit. The blessed are also those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, because he is kingdom mindful, because he cares about the kingdom of God, his heart mourns over the brokenness around him. The Christian life is harder than the non-Christian life in this respect. Because when you start caring, you start engaging in brokenness. And it costs you everything. (laughs) You live a life literally mourning the world around you. Are you doing that? If you're not, then you haven't gotten deep into the lives of broken people around you. And dear friends, every single person around you is broken. Just ask them their story and begin to mourn with them. And pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not the boastful, not the loud and proud, but the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Not those who hunger for beauty or success or talent or giftedness or popularity or fame, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the rule of Christ to come in and for my will to to agree with His will, for my desires to get in line with His desires, for my lust for things to, to get in line with His lust for things. God lusts for good things. I might lust for bad things. 
that's coming under Him and hungering and thirsting for God to come in and to rearrange the order that is within me because I know that I'm messed up. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Not those who manipulate others to get their way or who are hard of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Not the troublemakers and contentious and controlling who seek to create strife, who seek to be noticed in every crowd. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, not the hard-hearted, but those who know that they've been treated with tremendous mercy, that they didn't receive what their sins deserve, and therefore they're willing to forgive and treat others with mercy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the person who is suffering but doesn't have to tell everybody and doesn't feel like he deserves better. But he knows that, yes, my king, whatever you bring to me, I receive. Because I know you're still reigning over me. And I know you're still king. And no matter what I face... I know that whatever I suffer, I'm doing so under your care. And it's not without purpose, because all things work to the good of those who love you. Do you see it? Do you see your need for a king? To be a citizen in God's kingdoms, these realities must be true. Why? Because you literally, because God has created the order of the world, God has created uh, what goodness and blessing really is, therefore you cannot be hard-hearted and be blessed. You have to care. You can't be blessed and be critical. You can't be blessed and hoard all that you have. You can't be blessed and just look at the problems around you and say, Oh, God, thank you that that's not me. But you have to be merciful and meek and caring and compassionate, even if you're made fun of, even if you are isolated and persecuted. So do you feel the need to cry out to God, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in me? That's where it has to start. Is the kingdom of God reigning in your life? Do you want that good King Jesus to come rule over you? That's what it means to be a Christian. Would you bend your knee to Him this morning? Would you give Him the life that He already owns? Would you say yes to King Jesus? Would you make me an image that that radiates your glory? Would you help me to stop fighting for my kingdom and fighting for you to serve me? Help me to serve you. And then thirdly and finally, we have to want His kingdom to come to this earth through us. What's the mission of the church? What's What's the unique place of the church? We are to bring the kingdom of God to the world. If they don't know about the reign of God, it's because we are not letting them experience it. That's why in a huge way I want to see that institute seminar on Sunday mornings packed out. Because that's what we're asking. How can we take the gospel to a world so that others might bow their knee to Jesus and find their their whole identity in serving the King that they were made to serve from the beginning of time? 
We have to work together. We have to push each other. We have to encourage each other. We have to learn together. How do we make His kingdom come on earth? I heard Dr. Kathleen Gallagher give a TED talk at the TEDx Memphis event a few weeks ago. and um, It was a powerful talk. Uh, She is a professor of education at the University of North Carolina. And um, she referred to a study that was done, and is really still going on, but it started back in the 70s, uh, called the Abbasidarian Study. And um, Abbasidarian is a big trumped-up word that simply means ones who are learning. And so in this Abbasidarian study, they took a 100 families in poverty, and they took a segment, half of that group, and, and, and all of these were about to have children, about to have babies. And they gave one part or one group diapers and formula, but they provided for the other group, starting uh, at the earliest age uh, forward to five years of age, uh, hands-on, language-intensive, um, basically preschool daycare. So for five years, half of the children did not go to daycare. The other half did go to this abecedarian approach of one-on-one, high language, high physical interaction. And and they began to look at the children, and, and the researchers felt like there would be immediate results, and there really weren't. Uh, it took about 15 months before they began to see a little bit of difference in the, the children who were experiencing the abecedarian child care. But over time, the statistics were astounding. Those who did not get the care declined in their IQ by four years of age and were more likely to be placed in special education. The Abbasidarian children outperformed that group in math, reading, and intellectual measures on through high school and into adulthood. They were less likely to become teen parents, and by 21 years of age, only 40% of non-participants were enrolled in college or employed in skilled labor. But that number of the Abbasidarian children was 70%. Again, the only difference was they received that care for the first five years of their lives. These children were less likely to struggle with depression, and by age 30, they were more likely to have a job and have a college degree. And then this was fascinating. They also showed um, health results. Um, those children that, that were, did not have that uh, the daycare, high language uh, learning and physical interaction uh, abecedarian model, um, of those that did not have that, 25% of those um, children grew up to have uh, metabolic disease. In other words, uh, heart disease, uh, weight disease, diabetes, those types of things. Zero percent of those that were in the Abbasidarian group had any of those health problems. Unbelievable. And so the kingdom of the world looks at that and says, thank God my children had uh, incredible daycare in private school. But those in the kingdom of God say, if that is true, we have to do something. If that is true, I can't just think about my child. I've got to think about the children that are in poverty. Do you see how your mindset begins to change when you see that King Jesus has redeemed us for the purpose that we might come under His Lordship and apply His principles to the world? 
And what did Jesus tell the disciples when they came, John's disciples when they came and, and said, hey, John wants to know if you're the Messiah. And he says, hey, just go tell him that the lame walk and the blind see and the hungry are fed and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He didn't say, tell them, man, I turned water into wine. I turned, you know, five loaves, two, a couple loaves of bread into enough to... Th-. He said, you go tell them about the kingdom action of the Messiah. And then at the judgment, how are, how are we going to be judged? How are the goats and the sheep going to be separated by those who fed the poor and clothed the naked and visited those in prison? Not those who had their theology down and memorized. It's those who understood that they weren't living for their kingdom, but they were living for the kingdom of God to make the invisible rule of God, which is sure and true, visible wherever they were, whenever they were. So what does this mean for you? I don't know. But I know that it means something. Because it means something for me. It means something for all of us. Nobody has this mastered. I want you to take a moment and I want you to ask Jesus, if He is really your King, what would He have you do? Some of us may need to bow our knee to Him for the first time and say, I'm sorry that I've been living my my life under my rule. And some of us that have been believers for a long time need to realize that we've been looking to Jesus to forgive our sins, but we didn't think that had anything to do with being servants in His kingdom. And we've got to change some things, but we have a good King who says, follow me, because I'll lead you to life. Follow me. I'll take you on the adventure of your life that will go on into eternity. Amen. Amen. Why don't you open your hearts now and just ask Jesus what he would have you do.